Welcome to Season 3 of Sacred Teachings. This season we are talking about dismantling racism. The murder of George Floyd in the United States has become a catalyst for change. Black Lives Matter is a rallying cry as people become aware every single day of the atrocities committed against black people, indigenous people, and other people of color. Racism, sad to say, is alive and well in Canada. Our first podcast is a conversation, a necessary conversation, about racism as sin. Sometimes when we hear the word sin, it takes us back to childhood. Some of us were taught that saying a swear word or taking something that didn't belong to us is a sin. We did not understand that sin is the breaking of a sacred relationship between us and the Creator. It is a separation from the Creator and the Creator's love. Each life is sacred to the Creator, and we are all created in the image of the Creator. Hatred and racism rupture that sacred trust. They dishonor the Creator and ourselves. Stay with us for Racism as Sin. Ona. Hello, I'm Ryan Weston, the animator for Public Witness with the Anglican Church of Canada. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Archbishop Linda Nichols and Archbishop Mark MacDonald. We have been talking about the sin of racism. Archbishop Mark, how do we see the sin of racism acting in our church today? I think that how racism impacts the, the church is these days pretty rarely in terms of uh, overt um, outrageous acts of prejudice, although it's, it still happens. Um, uh, I, I mean, I do get reports from time to time of indigenous people attending churches and being told that they would find it more comfortable to be at some other church. And uh, that, that does happen. But where you see it the most has to do with the way things are structured. There is, of course, the example in the, in the crayon box, there's a, a, a crayon that says flesh tone, and it's obviously the flesh tone of, of, of certain people and not others. And uh, there, is a, there are things that happen like that in the life of the church, um, although much more damaging and oftentimes much more subtle. So. Um, people of color in general, and indigenous people in, in particular, will find um, um, barriers erected to their full participation in the life of the church, oftentimes in ordination, for instance, so that um, what, what's interesting about this is that these barriers are very visible to the people they exclude. They shout, you can't be let in here, but they're invisible to the people who make them. And this is one of the extraordinary aspects of 
a communal sin is that people are able to hide in the life of the of the community their participation in things that are really quite perverse and, and evil. So um, what you oftentimes see is that a, a particular set of, of cultural attitudes, ways of doing things, ways of thinking, experience are privileged to the point that if you don't have them, you uh, are not invited to participate. And th this can exclude a, a number of different people. I remember uh, uh, I was working with the Commission on Ministry once, and they said, you know, Bishop, I don't know why you're uh, proposing this, this person. They would never fit in in our church. And I said, I know, that's why I like them. And, and, and they, that, that made them even more confused because in their minds, uh, they were the standard of what uh, humanity ought to be, and they, th their standards limited the participation of anybody who wasn't fully like them uh, in terms of cultural experience and, and, and uh, well, uh, to, be, to, to be frank, in, in terms of their capacity to participate in, in, a, in, a, in a, a, a almost completely white community without uh, showing any kind of difference at all. So uh, I think it's in these ways that the church participates in it. And also, I think, uh, in, in terms of uh, its involvement in issues of public policy, uh, you often see uh, that, uh, uh, that public policy that hurts indigenous people uh, very much uh, in terms of, of how uh, uh, industries and other things are are, are uh, permitted uh, uh, full reign in the, the life of the, the life of our country. Um, these these things uh, are not seen uh, by uh, uh, non-indigenous people as as being bad uh, and not not even a nuisance. So uh, in these ways, the the church participates in the communal sin of racism. Thank you, Mark. Archbishop Linda? Yes, I, I've certainly seen it over many, many years in our church. I recall arriving at a new parish, new, new for me, and looking out at the congregation and realizing that anyone of color sat around the edges. They would never sit in the center of the church. And I asked myself, why is that? Nobody had said anything. The pews weren't marked. But it seemed to me that there was this invisible barrier that somehow people of color knew that they were different and therefore were not completely accepted and sat around the edges. And so I began to ask, how, how do we change that? And how do we shift that? I'm also aware that every single cleric of color that I have spoken to, when I have asked them, have you experienced racism in the church? They've said, you've got to be kidding, of course. Uh, everyone. Uh, and some of the stories are extremely painful. 
I'm also aware as a bishop of the task of discerning candidates for parishes and helping parishes find a priest who will serve that community well and proposing candidates of color in parishes and knowing that the parish is going to find some reason why they don't fit, why they're not the right person and not because of their gift or their skills. That the, the, the underlying reason that no one will articulate because it's not politically correct to say it's because they're black or they're indigenous or they're Asian or they're something else. Um, they will give a different reason. And like Mark said, it's not because they're overtly racist, it's because it's, in, it's, it's invisible, because they're not like me, and they're not sufficiently like me to make me comfortable in my church, I will push them away. And it's been a real pain to see tremendously gifted people unable to fully exercise their ministry because Others will give them that opportunity. I think, as Mark has said, the structures, uh, we have looked recently at our Council of General Synod and noticed that the only people of color who are members of, of the council are indigenous peoples. And the Evangelical Lutheran Church member and the member from, or the observer from the Episcopal Church. But there's no one else of color in a church that that is quite diverse across the country so what does that say about the systems that elect people as uh, delegates to general synod out of which the council of general synod is selected it says that there are barriers of some kind there that we're not seeing that we're not aware of and i think we have to ask ourselves how we change that I, I know uh, in what Mark has said about uh, discernment for ministry, um, we have a very narrow view of ministry. And I know that there's a challenge there of saying, surely there are gifts that are developed and discerned and exercised in ways other than uh, Western European, Anglo-Saxon ways of doing things. Uh, if we cannot see that, then we are missing a tremendous gift that God has given to the church or is trying to give to the church and the church is spending its time saying, no, thank you. Uh, we're quite fine just the way we are. Thank you very much. And that's just not true. So uh, am I aware of racism in the church? Absolutely. Um, I probably, uh, not probably, I do participate in it because I don't see all the time and i don't see beyond the blinders that are on me and that's why i need people who will challenge and speak up and i'm very grateful to the people in my life who who've said hey you need to pay attention um and the voices that are strident and the voices that are uncomfortable and the voices that that are disruptive uh if we don't listen to those voices then the wages of sin is death is the way scripture puts it and that will be true. As you know, this podcast series is called Sacred Teachings. Can the sacred teaching of love help to move us toward reconciliation and the dismantling of racism? Archbishop Linda? Well, the gift of, of love is defined for us in the love of God as expressed in Jesus Christ. 
And that is a love that is self-sacrificing. That is a love that is willing to give even one's own life. That is a love that reaches beyond boundaries over and over the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, is of Jesus reaching past uh, the, the social religious boundaries. Sometimes Jesus himself is challenged. He says, I've come to serve the people of Israel. And he gets challenged, yes, but even, even those of us who are on the outside deserve something. And Jesus uh, breaks through those barriers. He speaks to women when he shouldn't be. He speaks to Gentiles. He heals. He offers hope. He tells the story of the Samaritan as the good neighbor. And so the example of Jesus is constantly to break barriers that others are holding that keep people in boxes and refuse to allow the fullness of God's grace and love to be seen. And so that sacred teaching of love needs to undergird everything. And it's a love that is unconditional, sacrificial, and is not defensive. And that's really hard for us because we want a love that is tit for tat. We want a love that gives, but I get back. Thank you very much. Um, and God's love is a kind of love that just simply keeps being poured out without expectation of return, without expectation of anything except the wonderful gift that it is to give. And so I hope and pray that we would be able to see that that gift of love being given to all God's people and a love that then uh, allows them, as Marcus said, to live into their full humanity with us because it's only together we begin to realize the, the power and the breadth and the depth of that love that is available to us. Archbishop Mark. I would very, very much echo and affirm what Archbishop Linda has said. And I would add this. Um, I think that most often people see the opposite of love as being hate. And I think the Bible portrays something a little more complex and sophisticated than that. I think that the Bible shows the opposite of love is not uh, hate, but the opposite of love is uh, uh, disordered love, or love that is is uh, uh, it, 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 love that loves the creature more than the creator. C.S. Lewis observed that sometime in the in the early 1800s, society began to shift its attitude towards love. It, up until that time, he said. Uh, society and especially the church warned that you can love some things too much and after that he said um, we began to talk about not loving enough not loving family enough not loving country enough not loving uh, this sort of thing and um, our ancestors saw too much love for something as a grave danger to our souls individually and corporately. So uh, Augustine pointed out that that sometimes this false love known in the church as idolatry, sometimes it inspires 
things that we find uh, admirable. So, for instance, uh, the putting country before God can often seem to inspire uh, good things like uh, sacrifice, bravery, um, um, those, those kinds of things. But it more often than not manifests itself in grave evil, xenophobia and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and war. And uh, so the Christian is warned uh, not so much against hatred, but against loving things that are not God more than God. And, and in fact, the Christian church says, uh, this is something that all people everywhere must guard, uh, guard against in their, their hearts, uh, individually and corporately. And so uh, it, 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 is, it is our uh, important uh, uh, insistence that uh, one must put the love of God before all things in order to have a, a, a properly ordered life so that we may enjoy the love of all other things, but enjoy it in its proper way and not uh, 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 order it in, in such a way that we, we hurt other people. So what you see in racism is an inordinate love of a, your particular cultural group, your particular uh, racial group. In, in, in a sense, the, the construction of race is based on trying to exalt your particular group over, over, over another group perceived to be different. And so I would say that love as it is properly practiced, a love of God and love of neighbor, and, and the love of God is seen in love of neighbor, uh, is uh, an antidote uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, racism and 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 it and if it is practiced as uh, Jesus describes it uh, then uh, we we find the most serious and important uh, uh, answer to to the problem of sin in our lives uh, individually and corporately before we leave this time together can you each share a directive for us a way forward what should we do now? Okay, uh, we are in a very important um, uh, uh, point so that um, the, the forces that are usually quite invisible are suddenly visible. So that people are seeing um, the nice policeman who I call upon when I'm in trouble is not so nice to other people. And it's not that that, uh, that a nice policeman is uh, worse than uh, some other, other person. It's that they project a system of thinking and acting and being which, uh, which is quite brutal to, to other people. The important thing is that this revelation is something that we as Christians uh, can uh, embody into our uh, practice and way of being. And so uh, we can um, 
construct uh, ways of being together and being in the world which don't uh, participate or, or seek to eliminate as much as possible these uh, uh, inner communal systems of, of uh, disregard and brutality uh, towards towards other people. And, and it's not that the, the, the people of color that have been disregarded and disdained for so long, it's, it's, it's not them that have the, the, the barriers to full humanity uh, uh, so severely erected in their lives. It's, it's p people who have been privileged by the system that has brutaled others. They are diminished internally and communally and if they are to take their full place in god's wishes for our common humanity they must throw off the chains of fear and prejudice so that they might enter the fullness of god with with this i think is the the urgency and the opportunity of the moment that we are living in um, yes, I, I pray earnestly for uh, uh, indigenous people and other people of color to, to, to see an end to the brutalities that are uh, embedded in our legal and cultural and financial institutions. But I also I yearn for the day when the, 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 the people who have been impacted by these, um, these horrible ways of thinking uh, who have benefited from these systems when they find freedom too. Uh, this is an important thing. Archbishop Linda? Yes. Um, <clears throat> as Mark said, we're certainly being confronted by the breaking open and the rising up of things that we had not seen. And I think the only place that we can start is with ourselves. Uh, yes, we have to look at the church, and yes, we have to look corporately at the church and look corporately at society, but the, the, the very first starting place is our own heart. And I would ask that we start by setting aside defensiveness. The first reaction is so often, oh, I'm not racist. Uh, well, put that aside and assume that you are, assume that as Mark has used the word infected by racism, because we all are. Um, make that assumption and set aside the defensiveness and pray for an openness of heart and mind and spirit that can hear and see. And be willing to listen, whether it's listening through the voices of those who were speaking out uh, publicly, whether it's through the voices of those who've written about racism, whether it's the voices of friends and neighbors of color who have never told you their experiences because they don't think you'll listen. We need to start there. And then together begin to look at the systemic ways in which what we had not seen has become a barrier to action in the church and in society. Uh, this, this is not uh, a quick fix. This is not, a, oh, we'll have it done by the end of the next triennium in the church. This is a lifelong reshaping of hearts and minds and social and cultural and church structures. 
and it will take every ounce of our energy and the next generation. And I've often heard in indigenous circles the comment about residential schools that it will take seven generations before healing, once it is started, has fully been integrated. I think it will be at law as long with, with racism. Until we get started, we won't have started the first generation. And some of that has started, but has it started in us? And that's what I would hope and pray we would start. Put aside defensiveness. Pray for an open heart and mind, ears to listen and eyes to see, and a willingness to change. Thank you both. This has been an important conversation. I hope that it will help to fuel and animate many more conversations like it throughout our church and our society. Thank you for listening to Season 3 of Sacred Teachings. Get new episodes every Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Mimeo, and Podbean. Follow us on Instagram at Canadian Anglican and check out our previous episodes on all platforms. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss out and please spread the word. See you next time.